AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Are your dairy products of choice changing? If they are, you're not alone. Let's get an update on the NCBA priorities following last week's convention in New Orleans. And we'll jump deep into the energy markets and energy policy ahead of the President's State of the Union address. Live from a keen state of broadcast acuity via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Colin Woodall from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Then it's our pal Phil Flynn from the Price Futures Group. And right after the news, Karen Bonert from Farm Journal's Milk. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. All right, Davis. Hey, hey thank buddy. you so much. How are you today, man? Oh, man, super, super fantastically Thir- terrific. Just 35 so good. 35 degrees, blue sky, uh-huh. drippity drip, drip, drip outside. I, it's it's one of those those February days that you kind of like to see happen. That's for Mr. sure. Mr. Blue Sky, please yeah. tell us why you had to hide away for so long. So long. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. little song Very for you. Good. Very yeah. good. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, update on the NCBA priorities. We've got a couple yeah. of things very specific that I want to get to. WOTUS, how much of an overreach is it? Shouldn't have we waited? Uh, some things like that. And and what uh, uh, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is doing right now to, to kind of push EPA in one direction or another when it comes to the, the waters of the U.S., uh, the Endangered Species Act and the and the Lesser Prairie Chicken. I want to find get get uh, Colin's take on that, and the electronic IDs, electronic animal IDs. That one has created some anxiety, I guess I would say, among the the cattle industry. And I want to get the the latest from Colin on that. And of course, right. priorities after the convention last week. And then Phil, we've got Phil Flan. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's lots lots of questions for Phil. Uh, we don't lots hate prairie chickens. We don't hate prairie chickens, nor do we advocate hating prairie chickens. No, no, not at all. What? No, not, that's exactly right. That's all. We, that's we all. Cert- we certainly don't. We'll talk more about it with Colin coming up here. In yeah, a little let's do. Bit. Let's do. <laughs> all right, buddy. Let's get to the news. What do you got? Well, Chip, President Joe Biden will deliver his State of the Union address tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This will be the president's second State of the Union address, but his first in front of a divided Congress. Nine Eastern, that that seems late. Is it usually that that late? Yeah, I'm a little surprised it's not. No, I shouldn't say it. Here, no, not, no, we're no. Chasing, we're not chasing Steady. the early special. We're not chasing that. Uh, there will be mentions of agriculture in the State of the Union address. It looks like he's going to mention the Ocean Shipping Reform Act and mm-hmm. what that did to decrease costs for shippers. Cool. $1 billion in USDA uh, spending to expand the meat processing capacity, which will ensure that, quote, unquote, that, quote, the market isn't dominated by just a few big players, end quote. And then he's also going to talk about right to repair action, at least mentioned it. So, mm-hmm. interesting. 
Well, chip Western sanctions and soaring battlefield costs took a heavy toll on Russia's finances last month. Russian Ministry of Finance data showed that falling oil and gas revenues alongside rising military spending pushed the government budget deficit to around $25 billion in January. That's its largest shortfall to start the year in more than a decade. Meanwhile, Russia is reportedly gathering reinforcements and equipment ahead of a new offensive in eastern Ukraine. According to the governor of Luhansk region, coming up on the one-year anniversary chip, feels like yeah. something could crack off. Yeah, very quickly we're coming up on that. We'll see what that budget deficit means to the energy markets from Phil coming up here in a bit. Well, up China and Brazil's central banks signed a memorandum of understanding on setting up yawn clearing arrangements in Brazil. The People's Bank of China said the establishment of such arrangements would be beneficial to cross-border transactions and further promote bilateral trade and investment facilitation. BP is reportedly targeting a reduction in fossil fuel production in 2030 of 25% from 2019 levels. That compares with a previous target of a 40% reduction. BP's London-listed shares jumped 4% in the latest sign that soaring energy prices are tempting oil giants to keep pumping out fossil fuels despite pressure to focus on renewable energy. Yeah, you know what? This is interesting because how do you maintain margins? You you put out word that you're going to reduce production. <laughs> That's how you do it. Well, chip authorities in the U.S. are again warning about a rise in domestic extremists plotting to attack the nation's power grids, yeah. which government reports have warned could cause a domino effect and leave huge parts of the country in the dark. Yeah, this one was out in Maryland, I believe. They were going to try to take mm-hmm. Baltimore down. It, yeah. It's scary, scary stuff. Well, the CFTC on February 2nd announced the weekly commitments of traders report scheduled for February 3rd would not be released due to a cyber attack. The agency said the report will be released once all trades can be reported and the regulator has received the information and validated data from firms. A cyber attack on the CFTC, Chip. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it had anything to do with the balloon. I'm, I'm not sure, though. Rescue teams continue to hunt for survivors from large earthquakes that struck southern Turkey and Syria on Monday. The quakes have already left at least 5,000 people dead. That number looks certain to rise as temperatures dropped below freezing overnight. World Health Organization suggests fatalities could reach 20,000. And the cushion of savings many built up during the pandemic is thinning. In some households, it's already gone. Americans have spent down about 35% of the extra savings they accumulated during the pandemic as of mid-January. This according to an estimate from Goldman Sachs. Chip. Yeah, and that was just because people quit doing things. It, it right. was interesting <laughs> uh, to see how much you can really save if, if you put your mind to it. All right. Thank you very much, Davis. Karen Bonert, editor, Farm Journal's Mail. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Chip. Okay, so tell me about how dairy consumers' preferences change over time. Sure. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of obvious as we get older, we demand different products. It's kind of an evolution, right? So we go from infant formula, if you will, to pizza, to mac and cheese, oh, to be a teenager, to the eventually become healthier shakes. Um, so there was a real, uh, recently a report came out about aging and diversifying population of the future, which I really found fascinating. And so what this this talks about is how are U.S. dairy farmers going to meet and meet the growing and changing demand because there is more of a demand for uh, dairy fat 
Um, while the demand for skim solids will, will, will remain relatively flat. And this is kind of good because the aging population, they really see benefit in putting dairy fat in their diet. Um, and it really all boils down to the mindset by consumers that dairy fat can fit into a healthy diet. So the population growth chip is uneven as the natural rate of replacement is slowing, um, yep. slower, if you will, than the immigration rate. And so this means we're seeing a high, higher level of fluid consumption, fluid milk consumption among immigrants yep. in the U.S., although be, they become Americanized and then this eventually fades over time. However, the drive and demand for growth of cheese and pizza is still strong. And finally, Chip, real quick, we talk about marketing to millennials with social media. And of course, that's important, but we can't neglect that um, a pretty important group of the population by 2030 will be baby boomers yeah. Will be all over the age of 65. And so how do we market to them? They'll be an important group that we need to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that population is going to be kind of a demanding part of the population. And they want to make sure that they've got the products in front of them that they want. Uh, no question about that. Karen, thank you so much. I think ice cream. You know, I think there's more ice cream in my future. I, 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 at least I hope so. All right. Thanks, Karen. Karen Bonert, editor of Farm Journal's Milk. We've got Colin Woodall up next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. Knowledge is power. We're here to charge your batteries. Agritalk. Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you are with us this morning for Agritalk. Davis Michelson is here as well. He'll be I am. chiming in with questions, comments, observations. observations. Whoa. Oh, it's, you see it's that? happening again. Uh-huh. It's happening again. All right. Uh, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association convention was last week down in New Orleans. It's time we we got a report on it from um, from Sean Haney on the free for all on Friday, but let's uh, let's talk with the CEO of NCBA right now, Colin Woodall. Colin, welcome back to AgriTalk. It has been too long. It has been way too long, Chip. I always appreciate the chance to be on your show. Yeah, well, we're glad that you're here. Okay, before we get to the priority list, what did you learn? What did you learn from the membership last week down there, Colin? The thing that really kind of rang throughout the entire week, Chip, is just how optimistic producers are right now. Okay. And that was something that was on full display. And I think it's a tributal to several several different things. You know, when you look at the weather and the forecast and the you know expected change from a La Nina to an El Nino, that had people 
feeling a little bit better yeah. that hopefully we can get some rain, especially there in the Southern Plains. Uh, all of the talk about the cattle market had people feeling better. Uh, you know, this hope that maybe we'll start seeing some uh, inflation concerns start to wane. Uh, all, all of that, I believe, added to the optimism that was out there and in full display in New Orleans last week. So it was it was good to see just how optimistic everybody was. Good, good, good. You know, every two, there's two or three years out of a 10-year period where weather just seems to dominate the the talk in the cattle industry. And we're obviously in one of those, those uh, two or three-year periods right now. Um, I, I hope they're right. And I think they are. I think they are. I think the trend is going in the right direction that we will see changes in the pattern, get more active uh, rainfall pattern through the, the central and southern plains and bring some some grass to the ranches down there. I sure hope that's the case. Okay, the the priority list. I, you know, it, Colin, this one seems boring, but I'm so glad that it's still right at the top of the list, and that is keeping disease out of the country. You know, it has to be top of mind for us because as we look at things such as foot and mouth disease, Really, to be honest with you, Chip, it's not a matter of if we see FMD again yeah. in this country, it's when we see it again. And we want to make sure that we are prepared. And that's why as we go into 2023, especially with the Farm Bill consideration, making sure that the vaccine bank that we established in the last Farm Bill remains in the farm bill and is fully funded is our top priority. And then also make sure that we're continuing to work with state governments, our federal government, so that way we can have a very quick and coordinated response if, uh, I said not if, but when we see FMD again. But also something we did last week in New Orleans is we made sure we had the conversations with the Canadians and the Mexicans because right. that partnership that we have, uh, if, if one of us gets it, more than likely, the other two ultimately will. And so that international cooperation is really a key component of our overall response plan. Yeah. You know, the customers, the customers that buy our beef, they also have to be aware of the risks and prepared for when it happens again as well so that we don't lose all the beef export business. It it, it can be managed from that point. What are you guys doing to make sure that the customers are prepared? Yeah, we just need to make sure that they understand that foot and mouth disease is an animal health issue. It's not a food safety issue. Yep. And that is a big part of our overall strategy in talking about foot and mouth disease. And it's one thing to do it at a domestic level, but you mentioned international trade. And if we have foot and mouth disease, we expect that we'll probably lose access to just about all those markets oh. overnight. The question will be, how quickly can we get those back in place? And a lot of that depends upon our response. And a lot of that depends upon the conversation we had last week in New Orleans about traceability and okay. what more we can do to make sure that we are seeing uh, adoption of traceability. So that way, when it hits, those who have traceability, who can show where their cattle have been, hopefully can get back into the flow of commerce more quickly than they otherwise would. Yeah. Yeah. Todd Wilkinson, the new president of ncba is working um is the head of the traceability working group and and usda has come out with that proposed rule on the electric electronic identification colin what's uh i know it's early 
in in the evaluation of of that proposed rule. But what what's NCBA's take on that? Well, we expected this. You know, yeah. really, when you step back and, and you look at this discussion, there's there's not much new here as far as the requirements go. What's really new is moving away from things such as the old bright tags and making this electronic ID. So from that perspective, we weren't surprised. But for us, it really comes down to two things. One is confidentiality of that information. You know, we, we can't have that information getting out in some sort of FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request that USDA gets hit on. So we have to make sure that that information is going to be confidential and only used if there is some sort of foreign animal disease. So that's our primary yeah. concern. The second component of that is we need to make sure we're not cutting out the private sector when it comes to service providers, uh, tag manufacturers, tag retailers. Uh, there is a tremendous system that exists today and they need to have the opportunity to engage here. This is this does not need to be a situation when all of a sudden USDA becomes uh, uh, not only the, the regulator, but the retailer of tags. So that's going to be a big part of our engagement with USDA to try to make some tweaks to ensure that this rule can actually be workable. Yeah, the cost of the tags has been a topic out on social media, Colin, because there are some guys that are thinking to themselves, good grief, if we've got uh, 500 cows that need to be tagged or whatever, uh, there, there's going to be some considerable costs. Is there any talk about cost sharing or anything like that? You know, there hasn't been yet, Chip. I think that's still a, a part of the conversation that can be had. But I think okay. that also takes it back to my previous conversation about making sure that yeah. you know private companies can engage here because yep. uh, they they will be able to drive those costs down probably quicker than anybody else if they're allowed to. Okay, all right. Um, when we when we look at some of the policy in in DC and we think about livestock, we think about equip, uh, we think about uh, the conservation security programs, stuff like that. It, what what is the priority? from NCBA on on funding those projects. Yeah, when you look at Capitol Hill right now, of course, everybody's focused on the farm bill. Yep. And this farm bill expires September 30th, and, and we're in the middle of it, too. We talked a little bit about funding for FMD. We want to make sure that EQIP in particular is taken care of because that's an extremely popular program among cattle producers. One area that doesn't necessarily get a lot of attention, though, Chip, is research. You know, the research yeah. function that is done by you know, USDA through the Economic Research Service, the Ag Research Service, and also all the money that is provided by the Farm Bill to our land-grant universities. That is so incredibly important right. to not only make us better producers, but also ensure that we have the tools to protect ourselves from foreign yep. animal diseases and respond to those foreign animal diseases when they show up. And sometimes that's, you know, that's just not as sexy as some of the other programs yep. out there. We want to yep. make sure that we're protecting that. And also for uh, cow-calf producers, we, we need some more risk management tools available. And okay. the risk management agency has a good one through a program called Livestock Risk Protection, LRP. We yep. just need to make sure that it is a little bit more affordable and can be utilized by these cow-calf producers, especially the smaller ones who really do need some of these tools to help manage their overall risk. You know, I'm, that was a setup for me for sure, Colin, because we're going to spend this afternoon's show talking a lot about LRP and doing a little bit of education on exactly what it is and what's available to you. Um, overreach, WOTUS, uh, the Endangered Species Act, what's uh, what's the, the next step on some of these things? 
as we look at Washington, D.C. right now, Chip, I, I got to be honest with you, we're probably going to spend more time on the overregulation than anything else. Uh, you know, everybody's going to be focused on Farm Bill. We are too, but we can't forget what we're seeing from these agencies and these departments. WOTUS by far is number one. Once again, we have this overreach. It is nothing but a land grab by the federal government to control even more land and tell us what we can and cannot do on farms and ranches across this country. We're already in a lawsuit and suing the U.S. government on this. We're going to continue to fight it. This thing is a fall on the sword issue. We, we cannot allow this to move right. forward. And we worked really hard with the Trump administration to find a compromise that would work for everybody. And right. unfortunately, President Biden has just set that aside. The key component that we need to remind everybody of is this is all about just regulation and land grab. Look, water quality is not being impacted here because water, water is still going to be regulated. It's just a matter of who's regulated. And we don't think it should be the EPA or the Corps of Engineers when it comes to a farm ditch. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. Good stuff. Boy, I would have liked to have gotten to the cattle contract, but tell Tanner I'm going to have to come back and get him on sometime soon and get the initial reaction to the cattle contract library pilot program. So, Colin, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Chip. You bet. Colin Woodall, CEO of NCBA. Phil Flynn, next. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady Beach. Let's start in the soy complex. Um, some mixed trade. We've got meal and oil going in opposite directions, which isn't unusual. Yeah, no, that's the feature this morning, Chip. Uh, the the meal market uh, in soy oil, uh, like you said, diverging in big ways. Uh, so unwinding of the uh, long meal and, and short oil spreads uh, to a, a big degree here um, you know we've got the front end of the meal market down almost eight dollars and and uh, soy oil uh, is around 135 points higher or so so uh, quite a bit of spreading action going on there uh, soybeans are they're following the meal market to the downside and, and yeah. that's probably the likely outcome if this continues uh, with that long meal short oil spread unwinding Gotcha. A little bit of strength in the wheat market. A little bit. Uh, not much. Uh, HRW contracts kind of leading to the upside, I guess. Uh, but, uh, you know, not not a whole lot going on there. And, and the same with the corn. Corn's mildly favoring the downside along with soybeans and, and soy meal. But uh, just a lot of pre-report positioning here as we get ready for Wednesday's reports from USDA. Yeah, supply and demand report. World egg supply and demand estimates are coming our way tomorrow. All right, take us over to the livestock trade. 
mixed trade it, across the board. Yeah, so live cattle, uh, last week we had explosive gains in the cash market, up almost yeah. $3, and, and expectations are that we'll see strong gains again this week. And so that's supporting the uh, the nearby February contract. But we are seeing just a little bit of profit-taking in some of the deferred contracts. Uh, they ran to new contract highs yesterday, and, and so that's probably not too surprising. Um, with the uh, weakness in the corn market this morning, feeder cattle are trading to the outside. And then kind of a mixed tone in the uh, hogs with the front end of the market, mildly firmer. Yeah, after a big sell-off in the back months yesterday. Pro Farmer Editor, Brian Grady. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The chickens have come home to roost. Find out whose fence they're perched on today on AgriTalk. Would those be prairie chickens? Yeah, <laughs> they might be. Perhaps. Lesser. Lesser prairie chicken. Lesser prairie chickens. Do they roost? They're they're a ground-based bird, aren't they? Yeah, but I bet if they could find a spot to roost, they would. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? Fair enough. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. They're tasty, by the way. Are they? Oh, sure. Sure, very much. All right. (laughs) Let's go ahead. Hey, Davis, stand by and jump in when you want. Uh, We've got Phil Flynn. Sure. Senior Energy Analyst at the Price Futures Group. He joins us now. Phil, welcome back. It's good to talk with you. It's great to be back, buddy. I'm telling you, I I, I haven't had cooked roosters, but I'm willing to try it. <laughs> I'm willing to try it. <laughs> good deal. Good deal. Hey, let's yeah. start with this with this crude oil market. Uh, it's sharply higher, almost two bucks higher right now. What's going on in that market today? You know, I think we're getting a little bit of a reality check, right? The last couple of weeks, everybody was, you know, concerned about, you know, a looming recession in the United States, you know, this false um, perception that China's reopening would have to stop because of rising COVID cases. Um, And I think that the market's starting to realize that once we start getting refineries out of maintenance, um, and we don't have a lot of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve coming out every day, that we have a very tight oil market. And I think the market's starting to finally wake up to that fact. Okay. okay. Lots to hit on right there. Let's start with, with China. Mm-hmm. Now, when the U.S. came back, our recovery surge was pretty spectacular. Uh, forced, we, we saw some incredible uh uh, inflation as a result of it, gas prices shot to the upside. Can China anticipate something similar as it reopens? I I, th- I think they absolutely can. In fact, um, what you saw in the United States was a lot of pent up demand. Yeah. Um, and the pent up demand uh, in China is incredible. Not only did you have people locked in their houses for over a year or two, almost two years, um, you know, so you're going to have that type of demand, but you're going to have these factories starting to to ramp up uh, a, quite a bit. You know, we've heard a lot about the supply chain. China being shut down was a big part of that. So that reopening now, which is crazy here, because if you think about that, you know, on one hand, you're saying, oh, my gosh, inflationary oil prices back up. Well, that's true, but at the same time, if China starts dumping a lot of their cheap goods back onto the market, you know, yeah. it may offset some of those uh, inflationary pressures at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. But it seems it seems like it's a setup for um, 
a lack of of inflationary pressures because of the increase in supply on some key is, key items, but at the same right. time, you could have hundred dollar oil. I think you're going to have a hundred dollar a barrel oil, and and that's going to be a problem for the Federal Reserve. You know, in fact, today's rally I think is going to, you know, we're going to decide if oil is finally put in a bottom based on what Jerome Powell says here in about an hour, right? Yeah. Because the really the 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 biggest hurdle to rising oil prices has been the Federal Reserve, you know, talking a tough game against inflation, talking about, you know, doing whatever it takes, putting us into a recession. And if you look at the recent drop off in oil, it was uh, the exact opposite of where interest rates were going in the dollar. Um, if he comes off even the least bit dovish uh, in his comments today, I, I think you'll see oil oil back at $80 before the end of the week. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, what this story out of Europe that they've announced a ban on Russian diesel fuel and other refined oil products, right. trying to ramp up exports to other areas of the world. What does this mean? I mean, isn't that just going to put more pressure on U S diesel supplies as we ship more and more to Europe? Uh, it is. And, and this is the thing. I, I'm worried about the country uh, basically uh, in Europe. I'm, I'm worried about Europe currently right now trying to declare um, um, mission accomplished. I think it's too early, right? Ooh. And I think one of the things that we've seen here is a little bit of a over-optimism that Europe has solved the problem. But let's face it, the only reason they were able to avoid a disaster in Europe is because the winter in Europe was non-existent for many months. Yeah. And so they were able to rebuild their supplies of natural gas, you know, their supplies of diesel. And, um, you know, I think that there is this growing sense that everything's fixed and it isn't. Um, and, and the same thing with this, these, you know, price caps, everybody's saying, look at, look at Russian's Russia's oil and gas revenue, it's yeah. really far down. But the reality is, is that if you look at uh, that, it's probably because, um, not because of the sanctions working, it's it's because there hasn't been as much demand because of the warm weather. Um, and, okay. you know, they, they want to sell a lot to China. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Russia's uh, budget shortfall. What, what can Russia do using its oil uh, or its energy supplies to increase its revenue at this point with some of those sanctions that are in place? You know, I think they just have to be patient because they're selling as much oil as they were before before the war began. And at one point they were selling more. Right. Okay. Um, now, are they having to discount it to places like China and India right now? But um you know, I'm afraid that, you know, we really haven't challenged the upper end of the price bands. And I think when that happens, I think you're going to see some shortages. You know, right now, um, because there's a, a little bit of an oversupply because of the warm weather, you know, it's basically a buyer's market. That could yeah. very quickly change to a seller's market. And that's when when Russia is going to get the power back, right? And okay. and I still think that they will use oil as a weapon if they think it will further their cause. Okay. Phil, can we can we change gears just a little bit? I want to go back to the distillate stocks uh here in the US. EIA, I don't know, maybe I'm making too much of this, but the 
we've national supplies have been running below the bottom end of the five-year average range now for going on a year and a half. If I'm looking at this chart correctly, what is the deal? Did we for, did we forget how to make distillates? Where is it all going, dude? We did forget. We forgot how they 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 lost the uh, menu somewhere, the uh, the direction. <laughs> but no, it it sure seems like that. And and part of it is because you know the green energy movement. We don't like diesel. That's dirty fuel. Even though we we went through this huge transition um, to go to ultra low silver diesel, uh, we've closed down refineries, right? Um, and we've also discouraged, you know, the production of heavier types of oil uh, like that in Canada, uh, like that in, you know, Venezuela and other places and even Russia, where we took that heavy oil and created a lot of diesel for it. Um, we took diesel for granted, right? I don't think anybody's taking it for granted right now. Supplies mm-hmm. in the U.S., as you pointed out, I think are, what, 17% below the five-year average. Yep. They were 20%. Um, and and um, I, I think the diesel story is going to be one that could come back to bite the global economy at some point. Because um, right now, um, we really have to thank mother nature, you know, for the warm winter, because if we didn't have a warm winter, I I think these prices would be substantially higher. I think we'd be talking shortages Uh, that didn't happen. Somebody's smiling on us right now, but uh, I don't think the the problem's gone away uh, because if we do get some type of disruption, you can see those diesel prices skyrocket and that impacts everything for the consumer because everything moves with diesel. Well, and we reported BP is reducing their reduction uh, targets by 2030 quite a bit, actually. Uh, do you foresee maybe that's a trend that changes and maybe we get some of this diesel production back online? You know, a, a bit beyond petroleum. I thought we were moving beyond petroleum, BP, right. I mean, and they're yeah. moving back. And I think they got a reality check. It's something that I warned, yeah. you know, years yeah. ago with BP. It's like, You know, and what they found is like we've spent a whole lot of money on these alternative alternative energy sources. Not only are we not making money on them, you know, they're not really doing the job filling the void for oil and gas. Acknowledging that we're heading towards a potential shortage, uh, Mm. you know, of of oil and gas in the future, and they have to change course. And if they don't, you know, we're going to be undersupplied. Okay. All right. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, some of the, the dynamics that are happening. What about supplies out of the Middle East, Phil? You know, I mean, right now, OPEC um, has not been able to hit their quota yet. Is that on purpose um, or is it because they can't? And, and I think yeah. in many countries, they can't hit their quota, you know, underinvestment, um, you know, political issues. Obviously, Saudi Arabia probably has the potential to raise production, but even they're warning that their spare production capacity is rather limited. And we're getting stark warnings from the Middle East uh, right now that, you know, guys, we're going to need fossil fuels uh, and we're not going to be able to bail the world out. We only have so much spare production capacity. And if you look at spare production capacity based on the fact that global demand this year 2023 is expected to hit an all-time high. We're probably at the lowest level ever, you know, and it's so there's no room for error in the system. You know, right now we're skating by, everything's hunky-dory, but, you know, you get a major 
disruption, you lose a country or get a supply cut off, you know, uh, we're talking about oil back to $150 a barrel, not just 100 in that case. Yeah. And Phil, unfortunately, the world that we live in, the, the risk of a supply disruption again is probably higher than than not having some sort of a disruption. So absolutely. Yeah. Something to be aware of. Phil, I got to tell you, your daily comments are fantastic, man. They keep me Thank up you. speed. I really <laughs> appreciate that. Just you guys, Google Phil Flynn, Price Futures Group. It'll it'll take you to his daily comments. Are really good. Thanks, buddy. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Willowwood Glypho 6, as low as $28.97 a gallon tote price when you pay cash and build a maximum qualifying FBN acre pack at fbn.com slash direct. Ends February 28th. Prices subject to change. TNC apply. Welcome back to Agritalk, everybody. You know what? Yes, I am with these fellas. And no, I do not have a pigging competition at the Livestock Pavilion. <laughs> not much chance I'll win that blue ribbon. But, not you know, what are you going to do? If you're not in the game, you're not going to win. No, can't win if Somebody you don't out play. in Washington won like $750 million last night. Whoa. Yeah. I don't need her what he's going to do with all that money. Maybe start a band. <laughs> I would. You'd be unstoppable. Oh, man. With that much cash? <laughs> oh, man. Nice yeah, 750 turns money. into like 420 or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you take the lump sum, yeah. or you can wait 30 years to take in all $750 million. I think you take the lump sum. Oh, dude, are you I think kidding? you take it now. Yeah. Absolutely, I take the lump sum. Yep. And there's a party. I, you're invited. All right. Everybody's invited. Okay? Cool. Yeah. Cool. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm going to get a new shirt. <laughs> this is well, my party shirt. Well, there will be a dress shirt. code. There will be a dress code. So, yeah. uh, well, and speaking along those lines, you dropped a little bit of horse sense just right towards the end of the news segment. Let's talk about it a little bit. The cushion of savings many built up during the pandemic is thinning out. Goldman Sachs says by the end of the year, um, families may have exhausted roughly 65% of that money chip. This at the same time, that credit card debt, is extremely yeah. high. We reported on that, I don't it's know, maybe up. six weeks ago or so. Going up and up it's, and up. It's on the rise. Um, you know, getting some money velocity going is a good thing for the general economy, I guess, right? But at yeah. the same time, 
you know, you, you got to keep your house in order. Well, yeah, and it's got to be managed. It's it's uh, part of you get too much velocity behind the money supply out there with the money supply that we've got out there. Mm-hmm. And it's been coming down for the first time in like decades. There's been a reduction in the money supply. So that is is helping in in the fight against inflation. But uh, with, with the it's still a huge money supply that we've got. You get too much velocity behind it, and the Fed's job just gets that much more difficult going forward, trying to get things under control. And it 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 feels like it's uh, it feels, boy, I don't want to jinx it because we've got yeah. Chairman Powell is coming up here uh, very shortly. I think top of the hour, mm-hmm. uh, Powell is going to be making comments again. But uh, it 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 seems. Is it a soft landing, Davis? Is it happening? It feels soft-ish. It does. It does. Now, it's been harder in some segments than in Mm -hmm. others. But for the general consumer out there, if we can start to see food prices pull back, Mm -hmm. it's going to feel pretty soft. Uh, That's assuming, of course, that... We don't see hundred dollar crude oil in the near term, and a, a yeah. you know a pushback to five dollar gasoline prices. That's assuming that we don't see a surge in diesel prices that makes its way down into consumer goods mm-hmm. and and raises prices further. Uh, there's a lot of assumptions that are in this potential for a soft landing, but I used to be in the zero odds camp. Yeah, of a soft landing. Yep. And and now I'm I'm guessing that I'm you know, it's it's at least a, a 25% chance of a soft landing, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So it, I was at the grocery store yesterday. Okay. And uh, they almost got me. They almost got me. <laughs> I went to go get some eggs. And yeah. I there's a two handle on there. I don't remember if it was 275ish or something. I'm like, "Wow. Yeah. Two, two something, two anything. I'm in." Yep. Well, yep. It wasn't a dozen. It was eight. Eight eggs. Stop it. Yep. They made an eight pack out of a dozen. Oh, my goodness. Yep. 369, I found uh, a full dozen. Okay. But they were the medium eggs, so they're a little bit smaller. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Now, when we were talking, when was this back on Friday? On Friday, when we were talking about egg prices, Mm-hmm. Uh, got a note from Bill Lapp at Advanced oh, yeah. Economic hey, Solutions with with a chart of egg prices. This is for shell eggs, large whites in the Midwest. And basically, he's got egg prices off about 50% mm-hmm. from where they were at the end of 2022. So... You know, at the end of 22, they were bumping up against five and a half bucks a dozen. Oh, yeah. Now here it is, and this is as of last week, down under $3 a dozen. So mm-hmm. it's happening. It's we're happening. We're, we're, yeah, we, we are seeing the prices come pull back on it. Thank you for that, Bill. Appreciate that very much. Yeah. Um, it An interesting item from the news, just real quick. American Crystal Sugar will close its plant in Sydney, Montana. Yeah. Uh, Montana, Dakota beet growers aren't going to grow enough beets to keep it running. Mm-hmm. Just lack a little of, thing there. 
a lack of product. Uh, yeah. There's there's still plenty. I shouldn't say plenty. Uh, sugar beet production is still alive and well in the Red River Valley in particular. But that that whole sugar industry, it it boy, it ebbs and flows. And when a competitor decides that they can make it cheaper, they make it cheaper and they yep. they push it into the U.S. market as yep. quick as they can. Good to talk with Colin Woodall again yeah. from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And I kind of feel like, spoiler alert, he did a really good job of setting the stage for this afternoon's conversation. He did. Is this a new voice we've got this yeah. afternoon? Yep. Ben Rand yeah. is a new voice. And, and you know how much we like getting new analysts, we guest do. analysts on. Yep. Uh, ben is relatively new to the Blue Line Futures group and is going to be joining us in and he's got an interesting backstory. You're going to want to hear that. Ooh, this sounds there's, good. There's, oh, it, it's it's more than good. Is uh, he an amateur balloonist, perhaps? No, he is not. He, oh, well, not that I'm okay. aware of. Maybe he is. We'll have to find we out. find out. But we're going to be talking a lot <laughs> about the, the Livestock Revenue Protection Program and how he likes to use it. And then at mm. the end of the show, yeah, Oliver Slope, who's usually with us on Thursday, is going to join us at the end of the show today this afternoon and talk about the weekly options that are now available. So get your thinking cap and your learning cap on for this afternoon's AgriTalk.